Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land in Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, we are in conversation with a once and future contributor to LandGrantHolyLand.com, Kelsey Trainer Esquire. Not only is Kelsey one of the fastest rising experts in women's sports, but she's also an attorney and one of the best follows on Twitter at ktrain underscore 11 bt dubs so between all of that being a two-sport college athlete and a former college basketball coach kelsey brings a ton of insight and perspective to a lot of the interesting conversations swirling around college sports right now in our conversation, we discussed the NCAA versus Alston, which was recently heard by the United States Supreme Court, how it could impact the landscape of college sports, whichever way SCOTUS rules, the NCAA's mishandling of the women's basketball tournament, potential name, image, and likeness laws, and much, much more. On a related note, beginning next month, Kelsey will become the new co-host, along with the great and returning Meredith Hine, of LGHL's Play Like a Girl podcast. And she also has her own clothing line focused on women and women in sports, and all of the proceeds go to Black Girl Hockey Club. So, with all of that out of the way, here's my conversation with my very good friend, Kelsey Trainer. All right, Kelsey, so one of the biggest stories in all of college sports, especially now that the basketball tournaments are over and we're in the spring season of football, one of the biggest things going on right now is the recent uh, hearings with the Supreme Court case of the NCAA versus Alston. For someone like me, who you know very well, is mostly a moron, explain to me what this case is. Like, it's kind of a branch off of O'Bannon versus NCAA, or at least like it happened because of that for people who don't speak legalese. Tell me what this case on its very foundation and basis is. Yeah. So kind of at the baseline, uh, what this case is, um, is the NCAA trying to prevent student athletes from receiving compensation for the athletic, their athletic activities for playing sport. Um, that ties into such kind of the larger conversation. But if you go back to like the background of this case, um, it was brought by student athletes from division one football and division one men's and women's basketball. They basically challenged under uh, section one of the Sherman act, um, that, um, Basically, all of the interconnected rules that the that the NCAA issues prevents athletes from receiving compensation. Um, they had a trial, and the at that trial and up at the kind of the higher level, um, the student athletes received partial victory, basically saying that the NCAA could not impose limits on non cash benefits uh, related to education that student athletes may receive. Um, so it's really specific and nuanced, um, but because of the conversations around name, image, and likeness and everything having to do um, with the NCAA and, and, and paying college athletes or not, it's really brought in the, the larger conversation of athlete compensation and um, name, image, likeness, and pay for play. So this isn't necessarily talking about, you know, the universities saying, okay, we made X millions of dollars, we have to give x percent to the players this is more about stuff that like goes above and beyond that full cost of attendance and things like um, computers and science equipment and musical instruments stuff that would not be covered 
by what was previously established in the O'Bannon case, but still actually applies to students getting the full education uh, that they're supposed right. to have as student athletes. Yeah. And it's, it's really not, it's, it's not applied to kind of the athletics uh, section at all. It's basically the NCAA and that the court ruled basically that the NCAA cannot limit the amount of cash or, or cash similar benefits related to education um, that student athlete, athletes may receive um, annually. They, they can't uh, limit that to a lower level than the amount that they receive for athletic achievements on, co- on, on top of a cost of attendance scholarship. I think the amount is like a little under $6,000. Um, so it's, it's super nuanced and, and in the kind of the grand scheme of things, it's, it, it, it doesn't necessarily kind of like matter in the small scale, but in the large scale, it opens up an entire can of worms uh, from a legal perspective for athlete compensation. Um, and the reason that that is the case is because kind of to go back with what we were talking about, uh, what this, uh, what the students filed the lawsuit for was the Sherman Act. Now the Sherman Act um, is basically federal antitrust law. And that, what that does is limit or, or it it helps prevent kind of unfairness um, in the market. Uh, Any kind of restraint on trade or commerce is illegal. Um, And so it opens up that larger conversation um, of federal antitrust laws and the NCAA uh, asking for, you know, an exemption under those laws, because um, at the end of the day, almost anytime anything has come up under a federal antitrust law, the NCAA has been found to be in violation of it. Exactly. Um, But they don't have a, a, a necessarily an exemption like major league baseball has. And some of these other kind of large organizations have. Um, So, we can kind of get into the what they were arguing in the front of the Supreme Court, but that's the really the larger conversation is one um, is does this change the game kind of for federal antitrust law and what that means, and two does this change the entire model of um, athlete compensation right. in general? Again, even though it's so small and nuanced and niche, what this actual case is, uh, the findings of it and what the ruling is going to be is going to absolutely one way or the other. Um, have a huge impact on uh, the fight for for college uh, athlete pay. So what I'm hearing you say is that the NCAA is fighting this as hard as it has. And they've appealed because they've lost every step along the way. And they've appealed up to the Supreme Court, not necessarily because of this $6,000 limit on educational spending. It's more about the precedent that would be established if this becomes the law of the land, so to speak, and what could happen from that point on. Right. And, and again, to not even not to get more nuanced and boring in terms of of the law, because, uh, you know, it, it can be that way. Thank but you. but Thank this you. case, it's this case itself is really about the standard of review, like which is such a boring, nuanced legal thing. But yeah, it's means. basically it, the standard is review is 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 what a higher court will how they will review a lower court's decision. Will they give it deference? Or is it, if it's, is it a type of case where they throw away everything that the lower court found and, and just create their own findings? Um, and so what you have is you have the, um, I think it's Board of Regents versus the NCAA, which set that really low standard of review, which is a quick look. Basically, the Supreme Court will have something come into them. And if it's under kind of the, the guise of amateurism or this or that, the NCAA will take a quick look. And if kind of on the face of it, nothing is like extremely kind of wrong or, or out of place, uh, then it's good that the NCAA can do whatever it wants. And now they're getting into this higher standard 
um, for uh, review, which is what the NCAA does not want. Um, and but it seems to be the way that kind of the Supreme Court was asking questions is that yeah. they think that the the review should be this kind of more um, kind of in what's the word I'm looking for the uh, more uh, stringent standard of review. So you you mentioned kind of the questioning that the justices. Um, uh, took part in when they had the oral arguments on March 31st and uh, watching from afar, I was not listening. And of course nobody was watching because they don't do video in the Supreme court for some ridiculous reason in the 21st century, but following along on the Twitter machine, it seemed like bizarrely that all of the justices both considered progressive and conservative all seem to be hitting the NCAA lawyers pretty hard. Now, I, I know from following Supreme Court cases in the past that just because justices ask really tough questions of one side doesn't necessarily mean that that's the side that they're they're on. That's oftentimes trying to get to arguments that support the people that they're asking. But based off of what you saw and the fact that Clarence Thomas apparently actually asked a question for the first time <laughs> since like 1927. So from the questions that were asked and kind of like the tenor of who was asking what. Is there anything to be taken away from what we heard on March 31st? Uh, absolutely. And I think if you talk to any of the other legal experts in the sports space out there and, and that, that have followed along with the Supreme Court, um, it's it's one thing to kind of have hard hitting questions, but it's another thing to have. I think it was seven of the nine uh, justices basically ask not just ask you hard hitting questions, um, but make comments that really kind of were in my opinion, a tell of their thoughts on the NCAA. And it wasn't good. Um, and I think in general, um, you have, again, kind of the more of the conservative leaning uh, justices asking questions that were very surprising for people in, in the legal world. Um, the only issue is, if you ask me to give like a general overview of what happened, I would say, absolutely, it was in favor of the student athletes, the NCAA got hammered. But the problem is, is having the votes is having that 5-4 vote. And I just don't know if because of the arguments the NCAA made, even if I don't necessarily agree with them, because of the arguments that they made about basically this blowing up the entire collegiate, uh, you know, sports system. Um, I don't know if any of those justices, if, if you'll get five justices to basically rule um, in favor of the student athletes. It's going to be very interesting. I think on the face of it, it looked very favorable uh, for the students and very, you know, not good for the NCAA. Um, but there's a difference between the questions they ask and actually, you know, how they end up ruling, how they end up deciding. So explain to me, why does it matter if the ruling would blow up the current NCAA standard of amateurism? Like, shouldn't it just be about the law and the facts? I mean, is it, why does the, whether or not the NCAA will cease to exist as we know it really factor into the justice's decision? You know, that's a, that's a really good question. That's what I'm here when for. you have, job. yeah, that's, I, I, I'd expect nothing less. Um, you know, when you have um, judicial review, right? I mean, there's the argument that, you know, Congress, government makes the laws and, and judges just enforce them. Um, but it's the interpretation of what those laws mean. And to an extent, it is a consideration for some judges, um, the effect that the ruling will have 
um, on society as a whole, right? Or on the situation as a whole. And whether that effect is worth kind of deciding in favor of one way, because for the judges, they would rather have, they would rather say, listen, this isn't for us to decide to, to make this decision on, you know, that could have this massive impact on a, you know, multi-billion dollar organization and all the people that go along with it. Um, that's for Congress. That's for the government to decide. They're the people who are put in place to make your laws. We're just here to kind of enforce them. And so you want to go about it that way. Um, but at the end of the day, it does have a, um, it is a consideration for a justice um, in terms of the effect on, you know, it's a cost benefit analysis. Is that is it such a violation of the rule of law that even if that if we rule in favor of that, it would, you know, warrant um, basically blowing up an entire system as it exists. Um, so it's a really cost benefit analysis. I know it kind of seems like it should be black and white, either it's against the law or it's not. Um, but again, judges for the most part, you know, don't think that that's their p- job to, to fully decide that. Uh, and that if it's going to have such a big impact on something that, that Congress and, you know, the legislature should be the one to, to do that. Yeah, they suck. Um, okay. So <laughs> I can say that I'm not a lawyer. You can't say that at least not publicly. Um, so let's look at this case. If the court rules and decide, let's take the worst case scenario first, in my opinion, I'm not putting words into your mouth, Kelsey. If they rule on the side of the NCAA, what does that mean for any type of student athlete payment, whether that is directly from the university, additional um, educational cost on top of scholarships, or even potential name, image, and likeness uh, rights moving forward? Yeah, it means that the NCAA can keep kind of acting with these type of of rules and and laws to limit that the extent that they can be compensated. Um, You know, the NCAA has I mean, states have a number of name image likeness uh, laws that that will come into effect at a certain time, probably before the NCAA plan to. Um, And if the NCAA wins, they're just going to keep doing what they're doing. They're just going to keep kind of getting. being able to create um, through their own terms, through their own language that make up their own rules, basically. And and that was something that that came into effect in this argument is, um, you know, the definition of kind of what an amateur is and and, and a a number of other different things. And I think it was um, Justice Barrett who basically says, why does the NCAA get to decide that? Like who who decides who who says that the NCAA essentially gets to define things under the law? Um, but if if the Supreme Court rules in favor of the NCAA in this case, that's essentially what they're saying, that the NCAA, this is their product. They can define what is within the product. Um, and, and, you know, and we're good with that. So if the Supreme Court rules in favor of the NCAA, and then other states or even Congress itself, mm-hmm. um, rules and some sort of uh, payment plan uh, into law or some sort of name, image and likeness thing. And like you said, there are multiple states, including Florida, where I live, that have already kind of like started this process. And in some cases, they've already passed laws. Do you think that they just appeal those and, and try to use the Alston case as saying these laws violate the Supreme Court ruling? Um, absolutely. It, it's going to be a little bit different because um, you know, this is a private right of action by these student athletes. 
Whereas you're then, which is, so this is challenging uh, the student athletes, their, the, the court's decision and their private right of action versus um, challenging the legislature's, uh, the decisions of state governments. Um, so I think it's a, it gives them a, a leg to stand on, but it's a little bit of a different analysis in terms of like, you know, how it would apply to those cases. Um, maybe the general principle was, and there, there'd probably be some, uh, what we call in the law dicta, which is kind of just like, you know, extra wordage in the opinion of the court that might be helpful to your favor, but it's not actually the rule of law. It's just kind of, um, you know, dicta of the court. It's not necessarily precedent setting in terms of potential action in, in the future. Right. It just is, it gives you an idea of, of the thoughts and, and, uh, how that judge ruled and how they could potentially rule in the future. If they're saying, you know, that about this case, what would they say about a case, you know, similar? Yeah. So basically what you're saying is that was a stupid question for me to ask. Cause I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. Thank you, Kelsey, for saying it much more politely than that. Um, okay. So let's flip the script then and say that the Supreme court rules in favor of the student athletes that are kind of collected under the Alston name. Um, what does that mean? Does that mean just like the other one that it is very narrowly defined that they can get benefits above the educational limits that are currently set? Or does this automatically mean that schools, if they would like to, can start giving players money from using their name, image and likeness? Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, if if the NCAA loses, they're going to have a lot of, uh, of regrets on, on pushing this case up to the Supreme Court because then it's the law of the land. They could have let the Ninth Circuit kind of ruling stand. And at that point, they would have people would have only been able to challenge it in, in that area. Uh, and it wouldn't have been the actual law of the land. Um, and so if the NCAA loses, I mean, you're basically not only for, for college athletes, but you're saying that um, these that this kind of level of, of antitrust violation um, is really subject to this uh, this higher level of scrutiny, um, and so it does have other um, impacts, not just in sports, um, but um, it will allow for college athletes and in other areas of, of athlete compensation to rely on that precedent of that higher scrutiny. Um, to challenge, you know, further uh, limits to athlete compensation. So you said that this would be a very bad ruling for the NCAA if the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the student athletes. Something else that has been very bad for the NCAA is the incredibly bad look that unfolded on social media as women's basketball players were comparing the setups that they had both in terms of like workout equipment and food um, compared to male student athletes who were in their um, basketball tournament bubble. Since then, we've heard a lot of excuses. We've heard uh, the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert, come out and kind of make up some sort of way that they're going to try to figure out what went wrong when the thing that went wrong is the same thing that's been happening with the NCAA for decades now. Um, where do we stand on what this means like is anything actually going to happen with the disparity between men's and women's sports and how they're funded and treated by the ncaa or is this just going to be another thing that mark emmert and the ncaa just kind of sweeps under the rug and moves on when people kind of forget about it and it's out of the news cycle for a few days 
going to go with the latter, but I'm going to hope for the former. Um, you know, at the end of the day, like you said, the ins- this is nothing new. These disparities are, are nothing new. And the only difference of, of what is new is, you know, the age of social media being what it is and the college athlete basically having, uh, you know, uh, basically more guts, <laughs> you know, like yeah. a lot of this stuff was always happening. And now you have Sedona Prince and, and the, you know, the trainer from Stanford who are basically like, yeah, no, this, this is, this isn't okay. And we're going to put it out here, even though the, the kind of the fear of retribution or what could happen to us um, is still there. And so um, again, my hope is that something happens, but legally, right. It's all fine. It's all good. There's, there's, um, at least right now, there is nothing in the pipeline of what's going of something to kind of happen to to force them to change. And the reason that that is, is something that I learned on Twitter, because I just assume that since the NCAA is an umbrella organization for a ton of educational organizations, that they were still bound by Title IX laws. I learned, thanks to Twitter, that that is not the case somehow, which I can't completely wrap my head around. So the requirement that schools have that they have to give equal uh, benefits and treatment to men's and women's sports does not apply to the NCAA, which means that, like you said, there's really nothing that anybody can do unless the NCAA decides to fire everybody that runs the organization and find people that have a conscience and morals. Right. And this just ties back into the Alston case and that the NCAA went to court um, you know, a little bit back in the day um, to uh, basically be exempt from Title IX, to have the court of law say the NCA versus Smith, to have them say that, listen, you maybe you receive dues from member institutions, but you're not a member institution yourself. So therefore, you're not federally funded. Um, so the NCA has gone out of its way to um, make sure that none of these federal laws apply to them, but also to reap the enormous financial benefits of these member institutions that receive financial uh, federal financial aid. Um, so yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I don't know if that decision kind of comes down the same way today in terms of whether or not Title IX should sure. apply to the NCA. And I think it's something that, you know, somewhere is, is worth revisiting for sure. I hate the NCAA. Um, so, all right, Kelsey, I want to wrap this uh, conversation up. This has been very educational and reminds me why I never went to law school, but what do you think is next? Like whether I'm not asking you to predict necessarily what SCOTUS is going to rule because who the hell knows with those bunch of yahoos, but just in general, like what's next when it comes to athlete compensation? And I know obviously, again, a lot of it will be determined by the Alston case, but looking into the future and and seeing where the momentum is, where do you think we take the next step and not completely um, abusing and taking advantage of unpaid college athletes? I think that name image likeness is, is almost a sure thing. I think that's 100% that the next step um, from, you know, just a number of perspectives, but that that's going to happen, whether it's through the NCAA kind of greenlighting it, like they, you know, said they were going to do or through state laws. Um, it, it's going to happen. Um, the NCAA will fight it kind of tooth and nail, but um, that part's going to happen. The rest of athlete compensation, I'm not sure. I mean, there is the possibility that this case and the outcome of it could blow up the entire NCAA um, and the makeup of college sports as we know it, which I personally don't think is a bad thing. Um, you know, there's absolutely no other um, 
situation in, um, in college sports or kind of in the world where you have this level of unpaid labor um, and where you have uh, an organization profiting to the amount that the NCAA is profiting. Um, so definitely think we get some form of it. I don't know if it's going to be a pay to play situation, kind of, which is, is what this case is. The Austin case is, is along those lines. Um, but um, definitely going to have name image likeness, I think, in, in the near future. What do you think is the best outcome? Is it direct payments from the universities? Is it name image and likeness? Is it a combination of the two? What do you think is the is the proper right ethical outcome in this kind of compensation discussion? Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, I think that it's going to be, um, uh, listen, my, my, my direct answer to that is that I think college athletes should be paid um, for their services. Um, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not kind of sold whether or not there should be a limit on that amount. Um, you know, my instinct is that, again, there's kind of no other college student that is limited in the amount of money that can make off of their um, anything that they do within their college, whether it's art, sciences, et cetera. So why should that same thing uh, so why should, you know, college athletes have that, um, you know, have that same limitation. Um, so I think that, I think, you know, to start, it's going to be something that's, uh, that should be, uh, you know, ballooned. It should be something that kind of starts big and then maybe rein it in if there's some sort of level of, of unfairness or, or anything like that. But, um, you know, it, to me, the fact that it's gone on this long to the exorbitant, uh, the, the multi-billions of dollars um, is just totally unethical. Yeah, you and I, you were a college athlete. You and I have both coached women's sports at the collegiate level. So, like, this is something that we have seen firsthand and this is not new. And um, I, I think especially on the women's side of things, like there's so much discussion about like, oh, if they do name, image and likeness or only men's uh, or only uh, paying people that only men's basketball and football people are going to have benefit. I completely reject that, especially on the name, image and likeness, because I can tell you right now, every softball player that I ever coached at the collegiate level they could go back during the summer and run a camp just by putting their name on it in their hometown and make a right. decent amount of money. Like there's no reason that to think that football and men's basketball are the only types of athletes that can can benefit from name, image and likeness. Sure, they might be the ones that benefit the most, but there's no reason that, you know, a, you know, a women's volleyball player or a men's track and field athlete can't run a camp or can't do an autograph session or can't. You know, especially if they're, you know, good enough to also be on Olympic teams when you have to kind of, you know, walk that weird line that we've been walking for generations. Like there's reasons that this I I think that this would benefit everybody. And I actually this is a a conversation for another day, but I actually think that it would help smaller schools and and not necessarily the traditional blue bloods in different sports, because it could actually give a reason for kids or kids, high school kids into uh, college athletes to go to places that aren't just blue bloods because they have the opportunity to make some money while maybe staying closer to home or something like that. But that's another discussion. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, and listen, you know, you, you know it and I know it because of, of our experience, you know, you get these smaller schools with these superstar athletes and you're you're, you can invite the, what they do. They're superstars in their towns, right? They invite yeah. local businesses and organizations to get involved. And so, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, that it wouldn't, 
uh, that women athletes wouldn't make money on uh, name, image, and likeness is absolutely. I mean, oh. it's just a it's a it's a red herring. Um, and you know, the NCA likes to claim that a majority of its athletes go pro in something other than sport, um, while severely limiting the only time for especially for professional uh, women athletes or for for women college athletes because there's so little there's so many. Uh, less opportunities to go pro, you're actually limiting the only times in their careers when they could potentially make money off of their talent and sport. Yeah. Um, and and you see with uh, the NCAA tournament, you know, Erin um, McDonald, uh, the hype around her, right? She, she'll go pro, but she absolutely could have made a significant amount of money in college during that NCAA tournament, not just her, but a number of other of women who were on there because they not only do they have the talent, but they have the brand. They have everything that goes along with it that brands want. And brands are becoming much more, whether or not it actually applies throughout, um, they're becoming much more conscious in terms of uh, social issues and, and with their advertising and where they're spending their money. So yeah. that's a totally a bogus argument. Yeah. And like, like you said, like, especially in these small towns that a lot of colleges are built up in, like, you can't tell me that Buddy's Carpet Barn or Joe ba- Joe's Bar and Grill wouldn't exactly. want to have athletes um, from various sports, you know, being their pitch people in commercials and in print. But all right. Last question, Kelsey. Um, are you doing like home demo behind you? Because it sounds like people are knocking down walls and stuff behind you. Oh my gosh. I might've um, opened like up Chipotle in this, <laughs> in this, it, in this time. <laughs> was it like in a but wooden no. box? Like it sounds like, like there's drywall being destroyed. Oh no. I think people outside are actually like taking down Blame um, it on the neighbors. a tree. Yep. Blame a tree. It on the neighbors. Yep. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Oh man. All right. Well, Kelsey, thank you as always for uh, sharing your expertise. Um, and I look forward to kind of figuring out, what happens with the uh, Supreme Court case? Do you, do we have any idea as to when they'll make their ruling? It's kind of usually a, just a surprise, right? Uh, I expect maybe June or July um, if we're yeah. going off of kind of past. Um, I think that's when the decision is expected. Okay. Well, maybe uh, depending on how convoluted it is, maybe we'll have to have you back and you can explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old child next time. I got you covered. Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land in Conversation. Also, thanks, of course, to the great Kelsey Trainer. We will have links to her social media and her clothing line in the show notes in case you want to follow her, as you should, or check out her merch, as I already have. You can rock one of the sweatshirts like I've got. And don't forget to check her out in this very podcast feed once a week, beginning in May, on Play Like a Girl with Meredith Hine. If you are finding this episode on the Land Grant Holy Land website, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are kicking off a huge new slate of shows in just a few weeks, and you won't want to miss out. Also, don't forget to follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at LandGrant33, and you can find me at BWWMatt. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon, and as always, go Bucks.